This episode of Irish Mike's Podcast is brought to you by our store, Blacksmith Trading Company. In the store, you're going to find all kinds of things, like our handmade small batch bitters, men's grooming items, and our newest additions, whiskey and tobacco scented candles. Find out more information on blacksmithtradingco.com or, of course, the home site, irishmikesmith.com. In today's podcast, I'm pleased to welcome Barbie Van Horn, a passionate follower of all things chocolate. She is the founder of FindingFineChocolate.com and the Pacific Northwest Chocolate Society with another Seattle-area chocolate legend, Lauren Adler. Today, we take time to discuss the difference in chocolate between the big brands and the small batch bean-to-bar chocolate producers, their differences, origins, and even tasting notes. We also discuss chocolate tasting versus eating and how you can train your palate to pick up the subtleties of fine chocolate. Barbie also shares some of her favorite producers, both local and international, and takes us into her library of chocolate and what she's eating right now. When the show is over, you can find the show notes at irishmikesmith.com forward slash podcast dash finding fine chocolate. Barbie Van Horn, welcome to the show. I'm very excited uh, to have you here. Um, tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, how and why did you get into chocolate? Oh, boy. I got into chocolate. Oh, boy. Probably. It, it's been more than 10 years. It's been probably 12 or 13 or 14 years. It was probably 2007, 2008, right at the beginning of starting to see American bean to bar makers. It was just a few years after they started popping up on the map. And I, um, at one point in my life, thought I wanted to have a brownie bakery, believe it or not. Um, and I was diving into why did different chocolates taste different and why did they come out different in the brownies? And that's what led me down the path to, you know, starting to source different origins. And uh, at that time, it was kind of difficult to get different origin chocolate, but I understood that that was what I was, you know, I was looking at as far as the, the flavor differences. And I had called this little place called Chocolopolis because they were, you know, I, I found them, they, they supplied chocolate in the, in the Seattle area and they asked them, I was, I think I was looking for chocolate from Columbia because um, I had read something about the flavor notes of, of Colombia, and I wanted to experiment with that. And they were so nice on the phone. They didn't have what I was looking for at that time, but they were so nice. And then a few months later, I was driving down the road on Queen Anne and I caught their, their name out of the corner of my eye. And there's not very many places named Chocolopolis. So I thought, you know, I've got 15 or 20 minutes before my next appointment. I'm going to stop there and just see what they're all about because they were so nice on the phone. I walked in and their shop was organized exactly the same way as my off limits. This is mom's chocolate cupboard. Don't touch it. You know, it was by origin and the light bulb went off and they said, you know, it was just, it, it was apparent to me that there were other chocolate geeks on this planet. And I didn't know that until that moment. And so that's where I got into, that's what started me into tasting and, and really getting to why are these flavors here and why are they different in chocolate? Um, I never, never opened a brownie bakery. By the time I did all the numbers, I figured at, you know, bean to bar prices or even just buying from origin prices, each little tiny two inch brownie would be about $8. And uh, with a shelf life of, you know, three days or less, that was not going to work out to be a profitable situation at the, in the least. So um, we, we, we didn't go down that path. <laughs> that's, that's, that's how I got into chocolate. 
That's a great store. Um, yeah, they are very, and are they still around? Um, they are in a different capacity now. They're not on Queen Anne. Um, they are online and uh, Lauren Adler is giving classes and all sorts of stuff she does online as well as in-person classes and tastings and watch what she's doing with travel because just before COVID came around, she had a fantastic trip to Ecuador planned and it was all about, you know, it, it was a fantastic itinerary. I, I've never seen an itinerary that delightful as far as the mix of places that you'll go, the different, um, you know, all the way from origin to restaurants to all sorts of things having to do with cacao and chocolate. And then there was a lot of other stuff mixed in there too that would be just fantastic to see as far as traveling, uh, you know, nature preserves and all sorts of things. So it was fantastic. I'm looking forward to Hopefully she'll she'll be able to kick off another trip like that um, to Origin, all centered around cacao and chocolate. Wow, have you gone on any of those trips yourself? Did you, say? you know that was her first one that she was kicking off, and that was like I said just before COVID, and so that <laughs> that didn't go anywhere, um, unfortunately. <laughs> but I, I'm looking forward to someday going on one of those trips. <laughs> That sounds like a blast. That's awesome. Um, now you, um, so that process of deciding against uh, the brownie shop, but you found some other other people like you that started thinking about chocolate in a different way. Um, you started a blog. I did. Right? Tell me about that. I started a blog because I wanted to find those other people who were chocolate geeks who, you know, who wanted to really discuss the flavors that they were tasting and where does this come from? And I, I really wanted to make a connection with those people. And that's why I started blogging. Um, there has never been any profit associated with that blog whatsoever. <laughs> and I don't think there ever will be, but it's uh, just a connection point. I haven't been as consistent at it um, in the last year or two as I would like, but I would like to get back to that at some point and being fairly consistent with the blogging. When I started it, there wasn't an Instagram um, or anything like that, which is kind of a micro blog. Uh, if, if, you, if you look at it that way, you can kind of look at Instagram and some of these other platforms as, as a way to micro blog. But um, yes, that's why I started the blogging is just to make connections with people in the chocolate industry and, and chocolate world, chocolate mentality. Yeah, mentality is it's a, it's a good way to say it. When um, my experience with chocolate, one of the most exciting parts that I remember is the connection of people. These are real people that are really passionate about a resource that uh, grows within, what, 20 degrees of the equator and really nowhere else. Um, but the chocolate over history has, has got some dark past, no pun intended, right? right? Um, but fast forward to today, what, what tell me... Tell me what, what is the state of chocolate today? What is the state of fine chocolate? And what would you say to the novice? You know, I grew up in a family that Hershey bars were the chocolate. Okay. Hershey's kisses were the treat. Um, tell me about um, what makes chocolate uh, fine um, or special or unique uh, and the way that you are sourcing it and, and finding, you know, uh, chocolatiers, you know, and so forth. I think that number one, we all probably grew up in similar type of households where Hershey's was or, or, you know, maybe even Ghirardelli or, or something like that was the chocolate that you had in the household um, or Toll House chocolate chips or something like that. And what I like to tell people is don't forget that 
I mean, but keep in mind that chocolate is so much more than the chocolate that you grew up with as a child. It has so many different flavors. And if you really approach it from much more of a, a food group, which is kind of what it is in my mind, um, or, you know, or like wine or like coffee, where you know that there are different origins and different roast levels with the coffee and different personalities as in the, in the wine industry that put their own spin on the ferment and, and the making of the wine. And you apply all of that to chocolate. You can have just as diverse chocolate as you do wine or coffee or anything else. And it's really easy to jump down that rabbit hole once you get started. I love that. Um, I, it, let me, let me say, yeah, I remember I'm falling over my words for a second, but um, growing up with the Hershey's chocolate and the kisses and all that sort of thing. I remember when I was a freshman in college and I was actually, we, I worked for the university of Washington football team and we were playing uh, the, the Berkeley bears, the UC Berkeley bears. <laughs> and um, I went into San Francisco and uh, for the first time, I, you know, here's this kid coming from Spokane and I was a freshman. I was 17 years old. I wasn't even 18 yet. And uh, the guys uh, took me to Ghirardelli Square and I'd never seen anything like it. Um, and I, I was blown away. For me, that was my first experience into something that it was you know, different. And, and Ghirardelli is considered, you know, fantastic and people love it, but it's not considered you know, sort of bean to bar or anything where you can really get the nuance. To me, it was just the greatest hot fudge Sunday I've ever had. Well, that's fantastic. <laughs> At the time. Well, that's, you know, and that, that can, that's, that can be a starting point for some people is, you know, just a hot fudge Sunday like that or sipping chocolate or whatever it may be. But I just love to see the light bulb go off on, you know, when people get it, that chocolate is not just the Hershey's Kisses or Hershey's Bars or Nestle or whatever they grew up with, that it can be so much different, such a different experience. And whether that be from the flavors or the texture, because these days we've got everything from your um, super conched, very, very smooth and creamy to stone ground, which is really rough, but the flavor just pops usually in the stone ground. And, and it's just completely different experiences. So like I said, it's not just one experience that you had as a child. It's so vast right now. And there are so many chocolate makers that are popping up um, everywhere. And some of them are fantastic right off the bat. And some of them, you know, need to work their way through to what their identity is going to be in the, in the chocolate world and what their specialty is going to be and that kind of thing. Um, but it's really still an exciting time in chocolate. Yeah, for sure. Right. I think it's what, 10, 15 years ago, uh, maybe a little bit longer in her own backyard. If I remember correctly, Theo was the first uh, chocolate maker of its kind that we really knew about uh, certainly here in the Seattle area. Um, that was doing bean to bar that was sourcing the product right themselves and making it from start to finish. They weren't just buying uh, big bricks of hundred percent, you know, dark or something like that and melting it down and, and, you know, kind of mixing and, and matching with what they wanted. Is that, is that true? A few was, is that how you uh, remember it? Boy, I'm trying to think back to what Theo has changed so much over the years, but yes, Theo was one of the original ones in the Seattle area. Um, Fresco up in Linden, they've been around quite some time too. So I'm not sure which one of those was first. I'd have to kind of look at the history and, and 
I save wrappers, which is, you know, the chocolate bar wrappers. So I have kind of a little library of, of chocolate bar wrappers that sometimes I go back to and say, okay, I found <laughs> them this at this point. Um, they were definitely around, you know, when this wrapper was, was printed. So I'm not sure exactly who came first in the Seattle area, or if you're looking at Pacific Northwest. But, but, sure, but it was sort of a renaissance at the Absolutely. time, right? We, we now have more of the, so what do you attribute that to? Is it the same as, uh, you know, there was also a whiskey renaissance and uh, Washington wine was really making a mark, you know, nationally and internationally and some of these other sort of quote, fine foods. Is it as simple as that? Or is there something specific about chocolate in your opinion? That's a good question as to the Renaissance. Maybe it was, well, you know, you had to have people interested in it and interested in getting the equipment and the ability to get the beans and things like that. All that had to fit together. Um, that would be a really good project to research is why did that Renaissance came up, come about at that point? I'll have to do that. That, that might be a blog post coming up. <laughs> so I don't have a go. good answer for you right now, but <laughs> that might be a good blog post because it was not just happening here in the Seattle area. It was happening across the country. You know, we had uh, Art Pollard with um, Amano in Utah that was winning awards internationally. He was one of the very first American chocolate makers to win awards internationally. You also had uh, Askenasi was probably starting up back then too. Um, you had Taza. You had um, Patrick Chocolate. Um, there's just a lot of a lot of the early guys that were were starting up, and that's a good that's a good research project. Why did they all kind of start start up at about the same time? Yeah, no, I, I always thought it was interesting looking back now as it was happening, it just kind of made sense. It was kind of like, oh, all the hipsters, you know, are trying to go backwards and find out how to do something from scratch or at origin or be more responsible or sustainable or something like that. Um, I know I got involved with it because I wanted to do it for that reason. I wanted to find source chocolate, although I wasn't doing bean to bar. Uh, the chocolate itself was organic, Rainforest Alliance certified and so forth. Um, and I worked with uh, a chocolate maker in Idaho to design specific recipes and bars. And it was a lot of fun. I, I miss it terribly. But the goal was, even in my own mind, was how do you keep your ingredients down to, you know, less than four, you know, or something like that. Um, and that includes an inclusion potentially in my case. Um, and because uh, there weren't a lot of people doing it. Right, right. That's a good, yeah, that's yeah. a very good case study. I'll have to, I'll have to take a look at that. <laughs> something to noodle on. I love that. Uh, well, let me, let me shift into to a different thing that I, I, you know, I'm a, I follow you on Instagram and you're always posting about this great chocolate and, and all that. And I want to get into drinking chocolate in a minute, but um, when I was a kid and I think for probably most people, when they think of chocolate, they eat chocolate, they just eat it. Mm -hmm. Right. But isn't it, isn't it possible that you can taste it? You kind of touched on it earlier, like, like train yourself to think about chocolate in a different way that it's not just to consume for the, the quick buzz of the theobromine or the caffeine or even the sugar. Um, but you can kind of train your taste buds to pick up some of the nuance from origin. Is that, Ab is that even oh, absolutely. Thing? Absolutely. Um, and there's just, there's a lot of different ways to go about it. I think the most important thing is to really, really slow down and, and taste with an intention instead of just chomping it down and, and, you know, taking another bite, uh, but to really slow down and think about it while you're tasting it. What am I tasting? What does that taste like? Does that taste like 
wow, is that apricots? Does that taste like dried apricots? Or does that taste like cherries? Or does that taste like tobacco? What does the, what are the flavors that you're tasting remind you of? And that's, I think, where, where you really need to start is that really slowing down and tasting uh, with intention. Uh, then from there, there's many different ways to train your palate. And most of it is putting into your memory the flavors that you're tasting on anything you taste and then the sense that you're smelling. So even just walking down the street and you start to smell a flower and you kind of track down, what am I smelling? Oh, and then put that in your memory. Okay, that was a honeysuckle bush I just passed. That's honeysuckle. That's what that aroma is. Put that into your memory and then you might find that in chocolate or in another food that you're tasting. So if you slow down enough to really understand what's going into your mouth and how that's interacting with your brain. I think that's where you start. And then throughout the day, as you are smelling different things, tasting different things, put those into your memory too. And it's all just kind of like a big memory database that you can pull forward and say, okay, this chocolate tastes like apricots and pine nuts and coffee. It has a, a coffee at the end. And that then putting those flavor memories into words so that other people can understand them. So you can describe what you're tasting is the next step. I love that. I remember the very first time that I took time to, to really try and taste chocolate where I discovered blueberry <laughs> in it. And it was just a piece of like, I think it was probably a 70% dark, you know, there was nothing added to it uh, hardly at all. And I just remember uh, putting it in my mouth. I think I kind of did what you were you know, sort of describing. And I, I even closed my eyes. I breathed in, I did, you know, mm -hmm. what I, what I thought was the right thing to do. And, and it just blew me away that I could taste what I thought were blueberries in the back of my mouth for something that has nothing to do most likely with actual blueberries. It was, it was unbelievable. And then I was kind of addicted to it. Oh, absolutely. Right? What, what else can I find? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. You jumped down that rabbit hole. Yeah. I love it. Is there a way, if you were going to tell a novice, somebody that says, Hey, I was the guy or gal that was doing the, you know, um, the, the milk chocolate, you know, Hershey type bar. And I don't want to bash Hershey, mm -hmm. uh, by the way, um, because this still to me is a great way to have a s'more. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, but if you were to tell somebody new that says, hey, look, I, I, I know there's a lot of good stuff out there um, and I want to start tasting it versus eating it. I'd like to have a square a day or whatever. What would you tell them? How would you kind of coach them to get their you know, palate, right. I mean, does it, does it involve, you know, I don't know, soda water or, you know, brushing your teeth. I mean, you know, anything, what would well, you say to that? You've got to understand that I am a chocolate geek all the way. So I probably have a few more rituals than most people are willing to take part in. Uh, number one, if you want to go all the way, I taste usually first thing in the morning, very early in the morning before anybody else in the house is up or anything like that. And I do that because it's very quiet and there's nothing else distracting me. And because I haven't eaten anything. And so my palate is fresh. It's not overwhelmed by garlic that I had with dinner or, or anything like that. So um, I will brush my teeth um, and my tongue and everything, but no toothpaste first thing in the morning. Um, just want to get everything clean. And then I use 
uh, warm water. I, <laughs> I have a tea kettle that I can set the temperature. And I, so I set it to 140 degrees. Now keep in mind, yes, I am a geek. I don't expect anybody else to get up and brush their teeth without toothpaste and make sure the house is quiet and that you're not distracted and then heat your water to 140 degrees exactly and cleanse your palate with that between tastes. I would tell people just to make sure that you don't have a lot of heavy um, you haven't eaten something real heavy or real spicy or garlicky that's going to linger on your palate. Just allow some time between a meal like that and tasting. I still, water is still my absolute favorite. There's a lot of different things that can be used to cleanse your palate, like soda crackers or uh, polenta or anything like that. If you want to subscribe to those, great. I think water is fantastic because it melts the, the cocoa butter that might be left behind by one sample. And the cocoa butter is holding those, those flavors on your tongue. So that warm, really warm water will melt that and wash that away. Um, I would start with not just one. I would start with two or three different bars and not the entire bar, just a, a small square from each one. Taste one, kind of write down some notes as to what you might be tasting and then taste the next one and compare because it's in that comparison that you really start learning. Okay, this one tasted like blueberry. This next one, I don't get any fruit flavors at all. I get all really nutty flavors or maybe mushrooms or olives or, or something very, very different. And then, you know, eventually add a third and compare and contrast the three. So if you're comparing and contrasting two or three at a time, that's where you really start to notice the differences and start learning. I love that. That, yeah, that is, that is a little bit intense sounding, but, um, but it gets, you know, you're in the right frame of mind, it sounds like, but also uh, your palate in a place that can, you know, uh, you, you know, like you said, sort of training yourself to pick up some of these notes. Mm -hmm. uh, that's pretty awesome. The, the warm water thing was, is interesting. Um, that makes a lot of sense. I never would have thought about that, but 140 degrees kind of warms your tongue, warms your mouth, kind of gets your, you know, everything sort of, you know, sort of equal. I don't know if that's the right word, if it's sort of an equilibrium type thing or not, but it sure feels true. It, it works for <laughs> me. It works for me. It's, it's not as hot as tea. It's, um, you know, it's not as hot as tea water. So it doesn't burn my mouth. Some people have had it at 140 degrees, the water temperature. And, and they say that's a little too hot for them. So whatever, whatever's warm for you in your mouth, that, that probably would work. All right. I'm getting a, I'm but, getting but, a battery low on my headset. So I'm going to switch over to a different headset so I don't lose you. All right. Okay, no problem. I thought I could last all the way yeah. through this, but you know what? Sometimes technology doesn't, doesn't agree with you. That's no problem. All right. Can you hear me? Yeah, everything sounds okay. great. We're directly wired in. Um, now, as part of your sort of geekery self-described, um, do you take notes? Like, do you have a pen and paper? I mean, do you have a journal? I mean, how does that part work? Or are you just doing it for the, um, the enjoyment and the ritual of the chocolate eating experience? Uh, usually if I'm tasting in the morning, I'll be taking notes or I, I take notes quite often. I do have, I had tasting cards set, um, made up years ago, and I still have a few of those left. And I transferred that into an Excel spreadsheet where I am noting absolutely everything that I can about the experience and the chocolate, everything from the, the aromas, the, the texture, 
everything, as well as who made it, where it was sourced, even down to the farm or the co-op, if I can get that information, what harvest it was, if it was that information, if, if that's all available. Sometimes it's just not available. Um, any inclusions, any extra uh, ingredients other than just basically sugar, cacao, and cocoa butter, um, or if there's a difference in the type of sugar that's used, for instance, if they're using maple sugar versus a cane sugar, I'll note that because that's all going to play into your flavor notes. So, um, like I said, there's, uh, there's a big geek part of me that goes into this. I don't expect that everybody else is going to be making notes that detailed. I just hope that people are just taking notes and understanding, hey, there's difference in these different chocolates and understand where that difference comes from and start to understand, okay, these different origins may have different flavors, maybe different chocolate makers apply a different texture to their chocolates, that kind of thing. Oh, I think it's great. I, that, that was one thing I wanted to transition to was this idea of sourcing. Uh, what are, who are some of the countries or what are, uh, that you like, especially right now, uh, where the cacao is coming from? Is there any, any countries that stand out oh, or regions? Well, you, it used to be that there were definitely countries that I absolutely adored. Um, Dominican Republic was always a, a great one. Bolivia, I was always really like a good Bolivia, uh, Nicaragua. But recently, there's been some old school countries, if you will, like Ghana. And what Fresco is doing with, with Ghana chocolate or cacao is amazing. It's taking your, your Ghana flavors, which are very much the same flavors that we grew up with in, in a Hershey bar or something like that, and elevating it to the, the craft or fine chocolate realm and really pushing that, that chocolate to a different level. And what's comforting about it is you still have those childhood memories associated with those flavors, but now it's like made adult and made sophisticated. And I love what they're doing with that too. Um, I always go back to some of the islands like uh, Granada or, um, excuse me, Grenada, or um, oh, what are some of the other ones? Dominican Republic. I think I already mentioned that one. India. India is a fantastic origin that, that has a real diverse uh, there's so many different different bars that have been made by different makers that it comes out, you know, very differently. But there's a lot of notes in the India chocolate that I really like. I think I'm all over the that's board, interesting. aren't I? <laughs> no, well, no, that's okay. I mean, if that's uh, you know, there's a couple of things that stand out. First of all, India is interesting because I don't even know that there's a lot of coffee beans coming out of India. And typically, where you grow cacao, you can grow coffee, and vice versa. Um, there's probably some, but it, and in fact, I know that there is some, but it's not to the level, quote unquote, um, that, uh, you know, some of these other coffee origins are. So that, that's interesting that India is doing great things with cacao, or at least the chocolate makers are doing that. Um, that's fun. And then you mentioned Ghana. Isn't Ghana um, one of the countries where like some of the big, big brands that we've mentioned, Hershey's, even some of the European brands, um, where they source a lot of their cacao? Yes. Is that isn't that right. one of the big it ones? It is. And that's, so that's why, yeah. uh, you know, Ghana, the Ivory Coast, that's why when you have cacao beans coming from that area and a, and a craft chocolate maker takes those cacao beans and shows you really what can be done if you are sourcing beans that are great beans from that area um, and taking very good care of them, making sure that they're 
you know, not moldy or, or anything like that and making sure that they really apply a roast to it that is appropriate instead of the bulk roast and apply the rest of the concepts as far as making a chocolate bar to that. Um, I think that it's fantastic when you, you have that experience, you have those childhood memory flavors, as well as the sophistication of the, the bean to bar. Oh, I think that's awesome. Yeah. Because they they're sort of dominated the market, right? It was all the these mm-hmm. big brands had kind of scooped up every, every bean in those countries. And now that there's people doing, you know, sort of high-end work with it or really allowing, you know, the, the sort of purity of the bean to kind of shine through in a new piece. I think that's pretty it exciting. Is. That's great. I'm glad you shared that. Um, I, you post a lot about uh, drinking <laughs> chocolate. Um, that must be one of your favorites. Uh, tell me, tell me about that. It's really hard for a day to go by without me having drinking chocolate. I absolutely adore drinking chocolate. Um, it's, it's my go-to in the morning before I have tea, <laughs> before I go in, I, I move into caffeine, but it, you know, I, I've been known to have two or three different cups a day all throughout the day. Like I said, in my world, chocolate is kind of a food group. Um, so basically I, I buy drinking chocolate, whether it be direct from a chocolate maker, or sometimes I just make a bar into drinking chocolate. Um, by just putting it in a cup and putting hot water on it, letting it sit there for a minute. And then I use a, a battery powered uh, whisk to whisk it up and make it all oh, sure. fluffy uh, and just go about my day. I usually just drink chocolate in water. Sometimes I will put a little like, almond milk or, or macadamia milk or something like that or coconut milk in it. But um, most of the time it's just pure chocolate in hot water. Wow. And compared to eating it, you know, picking off a piece and, and going through it that way, you're getting a different experience. Absolutely. Completely different experience. In my opinion, the difference is that when you taste and you slow down and taste a chocolate, a piece of, of solid chocolate, it's going to melt on your tongue. And as it melts, it's going to slowly release the flavors that are in that chocolate. And of course, everybody tastes different flavors or, or they might taste similar flavors, but they might taste it in different orders or differently just because our palates are all different. We all have different memories of different foods and, and tune into those differently, but there's a slow release of the flavors and it can jump around from fruity to nutty to, to, to earthy all in one chocolate bar. When you taste drinking chocolate, most of those flavors are just released all at once. The hot water, you know, and, and the heat melts that. And so you don't have that slow release. It's, it's kind of hitting you in the face with all the flavors. And I can't say there's a preference one way or the other, but that's how I choose to warm up with chocolate is this the hot drinking chocolate. And, I, and I'll even have it iced in the summertime. I'll pour it over a glass of ice. And, and that's fantastic in my mind, too. Oh, that sounds delicious. Have you, do you ever do just like a raw cacao nibs or anything like that and steep those like a tea? Oh, yes. you, I mean, I'm sure you've done it at least once or twice, but it, how, how does that, cause that's a little bit more bitter, right? And earthy. Depends on the nibs. Um, I love to make cold brew cacao and that's where you just take the nibs and I usually take a quart jar and, and put maybe two or three tablespoons of nibs, not, not too many in the bottom and fill it with water. And then I let it sit in the fridge overnight. And the next day you have something similar to a, a cold brew tea uh, or a cold brew coffee. It won't be as, as dark and thick as a cold brew, brew coffee, but it 
the water takes on the flavors of the cacao nibs and it's extremely refreshing, you know, poured over some, some ice with a little tiny bit of maple syrup and some, you know, coconut milk in there. It's a fantastic drink for just straight. It's extremely refreshing. I think you still get the theobromine hit. In my opinion, you're getting that theobromine hit. So you're getting a little bit of uh, what would be equivalent to caffeine, but not quite. Uh, slower on the uptake and, and not as, as much of a caffeine crash. It's going to last a little bit longer in my opinion. So I, of course, will use nibs in many different ways. Um, well, that's not, did you say uh, like two or three teaspoons of nibs take, and, and like a quart, you know, ball yep, jar or exactly. something like that? Just a mason jar, a quart size mason jar. And I do yeah. probably more than two or three teaspoons, probably two tablespoons. Yeah, probably okay. two tablespoons. I'm, I'm going to share a recipe. I'm going to get it right. Email it back to you. And then we'll okay. share that. Cause that sounds I know awesome. I've done, uh, I know I've done <laughs> posts on that in the past. So I'll have to find those posts and send you the, send you those. Oh, there posts. You go. So that's perfect. I'm a big cold brew guy for coffee. That's what I literally drink every day, like seven days a week. I'll make a big batch of cold brew usually on the weekend. And it usually lasts me throughout the week. Um, again, all coffee. So it's just my preferred way to drink it. Um, but I could really get behind this. I've done it before just as a taste test, but I can see it being super, super refreshing. And actually now that I'm thinking about it, cause I like to make, uh, uh, you know, cocktails, uh, at the house as well. There's gotta be a fun way to do, some sort of cacao martini like drink that could be fun. Do you know anything? I'm just getting excited. Sorry. This is not part of the conversation. Well, I, I, I have been known to steep cacao nibs in, in bourbon or vodka or rum. Um, you might find some odd looking Mason jars filled with that kind of thing at my house. If you were to look in the back of the cupboards, <laughs> so those are, That's all, those awesome. are all, all things that I've done. I, I use it absolutely every way that I possibly can. Um, it, it makes perfect sense. I use, I, I make my own homemade bitters um, and I have a coffee pecan bitters, for example, that I make and it's a, uh, you know, steeped, um, you know, basically in bourbon and there's, um, you know, a lot of the aromatics and the bitter, you know, roots and different things that are in there, obviously crushed coffee beans and then toasted pecans. And so the same idea of sort of extracting, you know, with a high proof, mm -hmm. Uh, liquor uh, could pull on just some of the subtleties that are in the cacao. Oh, I, I got to do this. this I've made exciting. bitters too. Yep. I have, I have several different little jars of bitters that I've made over the years. So yes, it's, there's so much that you can do with cacao and chocolate. There, there's just absolutely so much. And if there's an experiment that I can think of, I'll just, I'll just put it together and see how it turns out. Um, so love it. Yeah. I love it. Let me, let me shift into something just a, a just a smidge uh, semi-serious, and I, I don't mean it to sound dramatic, but uh, how, what what role do we as a consumer do you think play in sort of the social responsibility of chocolate? I mean, it like I mentioned at the outset. I mean, again, no pun intended. There is a dark history to it. You know, it required has required quote unquote uh, or forced upon people um, of different sizes and ethnicities to be a big part of the of the process um, as, a, as, you know, Joe and Susie six pack, you know, what are we supposed to think about this and, and what can we do to help ensure that we're buying responsibly so that we're not supporting, you know, some of the darker side of this business. Do you have any thoughts well, on that? You know, I, often when I'm doing a tasting, I get asked about that and uh, you know, saying people are asking, well, who, who, 
were their children, was their child slave labor in, involved in this chocolate? And I, I really try to emphasize to people that with the craft chocolate industry, you really don't need to worry about that too much because the most of the chocolate makers, if they're making small batch bean to bar chocolate, many of them are very, very involved with the farmers themselves directly or with a co-op that is monitoring that type of a situation. So you're, if you stick with the craft uh, chocolate makers, you really avoid that situation completely. Well, not I can't say completely because I don't know. I don't have boots on the ground there. But you do really avoid that situation and, and that worry. But it's definitely in some of these newer uh, chocolate chocolate maker, on, it's on their radar, uh, more so probably than ever, right, is sourcing the beans and how they sort of arrive into our ports. Oh, and absolutely. So is that oh, fair to very say? fair to say. Many of the chocolate makers are directly involved with the, the farmers themselves. Some of them will actually go down and visit the farms. And so they many of them will put boots on the ground. And if they're not, they're, they're sourcing through a reputable importer who is putting boots on the ground, who is making sure that things are being done well. And a lot of the, the craft um, chocolate, especially when you get into micro batch and things like that, for instance, Ritual did a, a batch from, I think it was Trinidad and it was a micro batch. And, you know, the first year that they, I think it was, no, it was Jamaica, it was Jamaica or Trinidad. The first year that they got this chocolate, these cacao beans, they were only able to get three bags of beans. So that's a very, very, very small amount. And when you're getting that much of a small amount, people are very interested in the farm and where it's coming from and how it's processed and how it's, how it's fermented and all that kind of thing. So they're putting those boots on the ground for you. So you don't have to really worry about that too much, in my opinion. Stick with craft chocolate. Stick with oh. the stick with the, the the craft chocolate makers, especially those who are transparent as to where they're getting the chocolate and you know really care about that kind of thing so i love that sometimes i get nervous about the seals and the stamps on the packaging whether it's chocolate or something else that somebody's just paying you know to ride that you know to ride that boat um are there any seals that you trust when it comes to you know somebody buying a chocolate bar at you know a whole foods or pcc or wherever around here that you know sort of would help them feel good about their purchase no. I'm sorry. It's probably not yeah. the answer. You're no, it's for. okay. I, I am more interested in searching the history of the chocolate maker and, and what they put out and actually maybe even getting to know the chocolate maker and making sure that um, they're on the up and up rather than a seal that you can, you can pay to be a part of or, or anything like that. You, you actually uh, shared exactly what I was hoping you would say <laughs> is don't try, you don't be looking for the seal. It's not necessarily going to give you uh, what you're looking for. The peace of mind as you take a bite and then go to sleep later that night um, that it's different. You know, it's important to know who's manufacturing that. I think that's great. Um, thank you for sharing that. Who, who's doing good things here in the Pacific Northwest? Um, who are some of the chocolate makers that, that you like, or we should keep an eye out for, or if somebody's traveling, you know, to Seattle or something uh, or Portland or wherever nearby, you know, that they should definitely make sure they hit up. So I think Fresco is, they've been around for a while. They're in Linden, Washington, but you can find their, their, their chocolate just about anywhere in the Pacific Northwest. Um, they're doing some fantastic things. I mentioned what they were doing with Ghana, but they've also just released uh, Opeo 
it's Nicaragua origin. And I found what they've done with that just absolutely fantastic. The thing I love about Fresco is their transparency as to how they process, how they roast and how they conch the chocolates. And they may have two or three different bars from the same origin, but maybe one with a light roast and one with a dark roast, maybe one with a medium roast. They'll tell you on the package exactly what that roast was. And they'll also be very clear about how they conched it. Was it a no conch, subtle conch, long conch? So that's kind of your next level of tasting as to once you just start noticing what flavors are coming from the chocolate bars, you start realizing, okay, different origins can apply different flavors. Now you go to the roast level and see how the different flavors are coming out of the roast. And then you can go to the conch level and see how those different flavors are coming out of the conch levels, which is the other mixing and aerating um, to, to release acids and, and make the chocolate smoother and that kind of thing. So that's your next level. I, I think you should watch what they're doing, especially when they have a new origin that they introduce because they really do their homework and they may not introduce something with a, with a light, medium and dark roast. They may say, you know, the light roast works and the dark roast works, but the medium roast just didn't work. So we're not even going to release that. So they're a really exciting one to watch. Um, ooh, who's another one? What I don't know very well, but I, I've had some fantastic bars is White Label. And they're down in the Portland area. Um, who else is coming up on the up and up? Bellflower Chocolate, but they've, they're actually more, more concentrating their efforts on their bean-to-bar uh, chocolate milk, <laughs> which is starting, you're starting oh. <laughs> to see a little bit in some retailers around Seattle. I don't think that that has as much shelf life as your chocolate bars. It might be a little harder to get a hold of, but that's kind of an exciting category. It's like adult chocolate milk, um, not nearly as sweet and made with the bean to bar chocolates and, or the, you know, they're, they're grinding their own beans and everything. So that's, that's kind of interesting to see. And they're, they're coming from Seattle. Uh, that is yeah, cool. So, that is really yeah. cool, actually. Yeah. Um, I love it. No, that's that's good. That's a that's a good little start list. I mean, and people can, of course, I'm sure, find more information on your site, mm -hmm. which we'll talk about one last time in a second. But um, before I shift into something totally off choc uh, off chocolate, uh, what are some of the bars that you're eating right now? What is what are some of the ones you're going through in your library, as you called it, of, of chocolate? Uh, I am working on a ritual. The ritual uh, Trinidad. Bar. I don't have it right here with me. Another one that I'm actually working on is wild blue chocolate. And that is something I found through the international chocolate awards. And I was, I was judging for them. And then at, as we're getting towards the end of the judging, these guys are, you know, they're making really good chocolate and their chocolate is appearing in the final rounds. And finally they did win a, a silver and a gold for two of their origins for their, uh, I believe it was their Guatemala and their Haiti. And of course, all the judges are talking and they're saying to themselves, well, who are these people? We've never heard of them before. And all of a sudden they're winning, you know, they, they enter for the first time and they're winning these awards. They're, they're doing a fantastic job. So um, I've got a couple of their bars that I, and they're made with just pure maple sugar. So it's just cacao and maple sugar in their bars. And they are spot on with their texture, with their flavors. It's just a, a wonderful experience. I don't know, Mike, if you have heard about the Pacific Northwest Chocolate Society. Um, that's something that Lauren Adler and I started, oh, 
I'll say almost two years ago, probably a year and a half or two years ago. And we, of course, used to meet in person. And then things came along that changed everybody's world. And we've been meeting online. And Wild Blue is out of um, Charlottesville, Virginia. That's where they're located. But because of the online meeting, we were able to have them come and join us online and talk about their experience and and what they've been doing for the last 20 years and why they just surfaced as wild blue chocolate and and how they're making the chocolate and that kind of thing. So that was a fantastic uh, way to get to know them better without traveling all the way to Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, So those are some of the things I'm I'm munching on right now. I'm also munching on the, the Fresco 100% Ghana. Oh, the Fresco 100% Polichick Valley. Um, that's a fantastic one, Guatemala. And um, got that going. I am currently out of everything Dick Taylor except for the peppermint Madagascar sipping chocolate. I've got a couple servings of that left. So I need to restock on them. <laughs> Uh, and there's just a lot I've been trying to actually work through my library a bit because it got a bit large and, um, <laughs> you know, these chocolate bars, while I can keep them around for years, as long as they're housed in the right conditions, they aren't going to last forever and they are meant to be tasted. So I'm actually working on that a little bit. I have a couple of plaque bars. Um, they're out of France, uh, fair, a very small chocolate maker that just kind of debuted a couple of years ago, I would say 2019-ish they debuted in France. And when I was in France, I just made an effort to find them. And they're down this, the cutest little alley that you've ever seen, but it took me forever. It took me a good hour of train rides and walking around <laughs> with Google Maps and whatnot to find their little shop. And so I'm still working on a couple of those bars that I have. Um, and I'm always sad to see the very end of a bar, um, especially if I have memories like that attached to it. And so sometimes it's very hard to say goodbye to those bars. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. I love it. I love it. Um, well, let me shift. I'm going to share just a couple of fun questions that I like to ask people um, because it's kind of humanizes the whole experience a little bit. And I think it's fun. Um, what, what is the last book you read, Barbie? Uh, or listen to, as it were, these days? Why? I'm on a couple right now. Um, I just downloaded, okay, this is, I just downloaded the, the Count of Monte Cristo. Oh, nice. What yeah, classic. I just downloaded that one. So that's the next one I'm going to start on. And the last one, I can't remember the name of the book. I've been into Denise Mina for a little bit uh, and her line of books. She's a mystery writer um, and all of her books take place in Scotland. <laughs> So it's just something I ran into and I kind of like her style of writing. So Uh, that's cool. That's awesome. What's a skill that you currently do not have that you kind of wish you did? Well, I'm not sure if I wish I had a chocolate making skill or not. Um, I don't have the patience to make chocolate and I know that, but I'm not sure if I wish for that. Um, (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I would like to be a skill. I would like to be a little bit more athletically inclined. It takes me an incredible amount of time to learn a new sport or, you know, for instance, skiing took me 10 years to get down a blue run. Um, so, <laughs> or at least on two legs down a blue run. So I wish I were a little bit more athletically inclined. There you go. 
I love, oh, no, that's awesome. Um, what is a favorite quote or words to live by that you always take inspiration from? Oh, that's a hard one. They don't stick with me. Um, there used to be a Catherine Hepburn or was it Audrey? I was maybe Audrey Hepburn quote about chocolate that I had in my email signature for a long time. And now I can't even remember it, but it was something about that. And then there's always chocolate or, or have some chocolate every day or something like that. That's a hard one for me. We'll have to look that one up. That would be good. I like that. I like that. Our last one, um, when scrolling through your TV, um, and you're just looking for something to watch and maybe because if you're eating chocolate all the time, maybe you don't do this very often, but when you do, there's a movie that you, uh, stumble upon that's partway through it, but you always stop and watch for a few minutes. What, what is one of those favorite movies over the years that you would do that? To, oh, okay. With? This is kind of geeky, but Larry Crow. Ever heard of that one? It was a, it's a Tom Larry? Hanks movie. It's from years ago. Is that, is that with yes. Julia Roberts? Yes. Yeah. Oh, he like rides a yes, scooter exactly. or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I just I just like that movie. <laughs> how, how can you? Yeah, as, as Tom Hanks, I think uh, is almost any of his movies are worth stopping for. Um, you know, for a few minutes, no matter where it's at in the plot, uh, for sure. I, yeah, I think it's called the Larry Crown. Oh, the, the, maybe Does that, that sound right? No. No, not a. F- I'm adding a Thomas Crown to that. Anyway, you're probably I think right. It's Larry, Larry Crow, Crow, Larry Crow, that or Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. You know, any pirates movies like that. There oh, you there go. you go. <laughs> Love those movies. Too. <laughs> oh, that's good. Well, uh, Barbie, thank you for taking time to chat with me. Uh, where can people find more information about uh, what you're doing, or or even if there's an opportunity to join, you know, these secret chocolate tasting oh. groups? <laughs> Um, where can people find more information about what um, you're doing? So I will try to update the blog a little bit. That's finding fine chocolate, but the Pacific Northwest Chocolate Society is open to anybody. Uh, at this point, we do not have any kind of a membership fee or responsibilities. You simply join by joining in on the fun. Um, our next, uh, we have a tasting about every month. Sometimes we let it go lapse and go every other month. And it's online. So it's very easy. Just look up um, PNW Chocolate Society on Instagram. Um, and that's, you'll be able to find most of the information there. You can get on our mailing list and we'll email generally once a month. And that's it about what, you know, the upcoming meeting. And, and if you want to join in and how to RSVP and, and get the link and that kind of thing. So there's two, two good awesome. ways to get a hold of me. And I'm, of course, on Instagram as, as Barbie Van Horn also. Oh, that's awesome. Barbie, well, thank you very much. It's been a blast. And uh, congratulations again to your daughter graduating yeah. and being, a, I guess, an official empty nester, as uh, they uh, call uh, it, right? Yep. Uh, hopefully, hopefully officially an empty nester. <laughs> and congrats to you in uh, launching, oh, thank uh, you. launching more kids there. Well, that wraps up another episode of Irish Mike's podcast. Thank you for supporting us. And don't forget to subscribe and rate on your favorite platform. If you like what you hear, feel free to share with a friend. You can catch the show notes at irishmikesmith.com forward slash podcast dash finding fine chocolate.